The Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Oh, please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be perhaps that his shoes were too tight. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. But I think that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. From Chicago, this is The Unenthusiastic Critic, a podcast about destroying your marriage one movie at a time. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Unenthusiastic Critic. I'm Michael McDonough. I write about film and television at unaffiliatedcritic.com. With me today, because love don't make things nice, is my lovely wife, Nakia, also known as The Unenthusiastic Critic. Hello. On today's episode, Nikki and I are sitting down for her first viewing of Norman Jewison's Moonstruck from 1987. So, Nakia, I know you don't actually listen to our show. No. Uh, but our listeners will have noticed that I have once again replaced our usual jaunty theme music with something seasonally appropriate. No, we're That's because it's December, and this is the time of year when you and I vaguely acknowledge the holiday season <laughs> by watching movies that vaguely acknowledge the holiday season. Okay. These are so-called Christmas-adjacent movies, which may take place during the holidays or otherwise have some thin tangential connection to the holidays, but which really have bugger all to do with the holidays themselves. So far on the Unenthusiastic Critic Podcast, we have watched the quintessential Christmas-adjacent movie, Die Hard, <laughs> and we've also watched such festive holiday classics as Brazil, Gremlins, The Apartment, Kramer versus Kramer and Fiddler on the Roof. Oh God, I didn't. I don't think I liked two of those. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, that's that's about right. Which two will you claim? I think I will claim Kramer versus Kramer. I think I liked oh, I'm it. Surprise, actually. Okay. I thought I did, didn't I? Uh, I think you sort of liked it. Yeah. Is that it? You liked the apartment and the apartment. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. That's it. <laughs> I bet you don't remember Brazil at all. Really. I remember Brazil. I remember. Like, that's one I will admit that I just, I missed something, um, because I know that it is iconic. And then you had objections to, to Gremlins. Because it's ludicrous. Particularly as a Christmas movie. Because it is ludicrous. Her father dies. <laughs> Spoiler alert. In a chimney. <laughs> dressed as Santa Claus. And it's literally less than five minutes of the film that we spend time on that. And I, I just. How does that not make it the greatest Christmas no, movie ever? No. If we had spent time on it, maybe. <laughs> you wanted the whole movie to be about that? Why? Bitch, you don't think that's worthy of a film? <laughs> I feel like it may be. Did you want to see it? Did you want to like. No, I didn't want to see it, but she said it and then no one. <laughs> Even the dude in the scene with her didn't acknowledge that she just said something <laughs> yeah, was, really fucked up. There was up. no further discussion So about I that. just, I don't... Well, they were sort of busy dealing with gremlins. You don't think that's worthy of a pause <laughs> and saying, oh, shit. That's, even if you say, oh, shit. Like, that's at least acknowledging that oh, you, shit. That's fucked you up. just heard something really disturbing. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I will be honest. I'm kind of running out of truly essential Christmas-adjacent movies to watch. This, this might be the last year that we, we try to do this. Thank God. I mean, we're just going to watch something else. So oh, no, I meant like the, the, the podcast. No. Mm, okay. No. All right. Uh, and to be honest, I do not know how Christmas-adjacent Moonstruck okay. actually is. I haven't seen it in a long time, and it, it might just 
sort of take place during wintertime. I'm not really sure. Wow. <laughs> what kind of show you run in here? <laughs> but I think that's okay, because we are recording this the first week in December, and for you, that is way too early to be thinking about <laughs> Christmas anyway. I did not say it was way too early. <laughs> December, for sure, you can start in December. That's... That is fair. I, it'll you, pass. And, and I think we have talked about this before. You are like the the angry neighborhood watch <laughs> of Christmas decorations. Except I don't call the cops on anyone. I just, you know, bitch to myself and to you in my apartment <laughs> that people either put their shit up too early or leave it up too long. Yes. Last night, you literally said you were going to go across the street and murder the inflatable snowman our neighbor has in their yard. So I'm not even sure that it's inflatable, because it's, it's illuminated, so there, it looks like there are little lights on it, so I think it may be like a... I don't think it's porcelain or anything. No, I don't I think, think it's, it's porcelain either, but I don't know that it is like um, balloon material. I think it is some structure, but it's made out of lights. <laughs> but that, it's it's... One of the tackiest things I've ever seen recently <laughs> for a Christmas decoration. So that's less about the timing and more about the tackiness, or is it is it both? It's more about the tackiness. Okay. And I'm and for some reason it only has one arm, and so I can't figure out where the other arm is without walking sure over that's there. Not just the angle we it, have. That's on what it. I'm saying. I don't know. So I would need to walk over there <laughs> to see if it had a second arm. And once I've walked over there, I'm definitely going to try to destroy it. <laughs> So I am, <laughs> with every fiber of my being, trying not to walk past that building because I will throw rocks at it. Because it's just, it's so, t it's, I think it's hideous. It's just, and it makes me hate snowmen. And I just, I don't, I don't like it. You're, you're really in the spirit I this don't year, like it. aren't you? Is anybody? <laughs> I mean, I think it's going to be a subdued sort of holiday. I mean, I think you go, there are two ways, right? Like, you can either be super into it because everybody at this point needs something. Like, we need that's a just, little... That's overcompensation. You need a little joy. Well, I can understand the impulse. Or need a little Christmas right this very minute. Exactly. Or you're more towards my end of the spectrum, which is just like... <laughs> Like no, it's just let's, let's not even let's not even try. It's, it's not because it's you know January first isn't even going to mark a new chapter. Like no, 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 it's <laughs> it still going to be a little not. bleak. So I am so I say that, and I so I am trying to be more patient this year than in previous years because I feel like people really do need something. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, this is you. This is me, but trying to but be that, more patient. That proves how tacky that fucking snowman is because. <laughs> This is you with your anger. This is me in, dialed down. I'm I'm hyper focused on that snowman. Okay. I haven't mentioned anyone else's things, even when they put their trees up the day after Thanksgiving, <laughs> if not on Thanksgiving. I let that shit slide, but that snowman, it's me or him. Like that's where we are right now. <laughs> One of us. Every has time go. <laughs> he's in my direct eyesight. So every time I walk past that window, I see that damn snowman mocking me, and it's gonna we're we're gonna go to blows. <laughs> You're not allowed to get into fist fights. With I'm gonna have to. I mean, that's a that's a really dumb reason to get arrested. Is it or is it super principled? Like, is it like I I respect that. <laughs> I feel like I go to prison and I tell the other inmates like why I was in there, and they'd be like, okay, don't mess with that bitch because she's obviously. <laughs> I'm gonna remind you that you're black. <laughs> I'm definitely going to jail for it. And and I don't know for certain. I'm going to guess the people across the street. Oh, they're all white. Are white. Yeah, we don't live in the most. So you feel comfortable going over there and starting shit in their yard? I mean, it'll be nighttime and I will camouflage up <laughs> and you'll just have to have my, like, you'll watch my back. You know? <laughs> I got nothing to do we'll with that. We'll have to have some sort of signal. I have no objection to Frosty. If you see someone coming. I don't have an objection to Frosty in general. I have an objection to that tacky piece of shit that they put in their yard. What what is it going to take to get you in the spirit this year? 
What what do we got to do? I don't know if that's possible, quite <laughs> frankly. Um, it's not even like, oh, I want something or I would like to be able to go home with, to see my family. You can't do that. Right. So that's a bummer. Yeah, I don't know. We, we, can't, we can't actually do any of the things we usually do. So I'm wondering, though, is this just a thing that happens when you don't have children? Like, Christmas doesn't... You uh, lose some pr- of that magic. Probably, yes. Probably. So I think that's part of it. Or at least you have less motivation, motivation to fake it. Right. So we either need to birth some babies. All right. Or we need to realize that this is not good. And then we become like, whenever the world opens back up, that sort of, you know douchey urbane couple that travels over christmas and we went you know special um so we can be those people (laughs) which people could see the face you were making while you did that so this is a problem we don't have children of our own we also don't have we're not we don't live near our friends who have children so it's not even like we can adopt somebody's kids for christmas well we can't adopt i mean nobody who listens to this body like they're not going to give you a child at this point no I don't think that that's They fair. just heard you threaten to murder a snowman. But I would take the kid with me to murder the snowman. Like, okay, that is, is a not, bonding experience no, that they will never forget. services is not going to be swayed by that argument. Never forget. Like, let's let's take this fucker out. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that makes me an excellent candidate to take care of someone else's child. They would come back better for it, having spent time with me. So that's what I think it is. I think it's because we don't have kids... Because we've tried to do, and I think we've talked about this before, we've tried to lean into Christmas in previous we years. Well, I mean, this year it's almost impossible. It's impossible, to do right? That. So we went to the bean. We can't do tuba Christmas. Right. We can't go to the place where they do the caroling. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the holiday train this year pretty much encapsulates the problem with Christmas in Chicago this year. Right. It's running, Every but you year can't they ride do it. a holiday train <laughs> and they decorate it. And, you know, you look at the schedule and you go, oh, we're going to go catch the holiday train. And it's all nicely decorated inside with little Christmas scenes. And they play music. Right. It's very cute. And this year, they've decorated the holiday train. But you can't get <laughs> but on you it. you can't get on They're just going to be driving it's past just people. driving around. Which is nice. It's nice that they're still trying to do it. But there is something. But now it's like, like, okay, we can go look at the, the holiday, holiday train, train. Yes. from a distance. So, That's what Christmas 2020 right. is going to be like. So the things we used, we would have used to get ourselves in the spirit, we don't have access. I think they're still doing zoo lights. I believe I saw that they are still doing zoo lights, but I think the animals are all away at this point. Like, they're just like, we're so not. So we can go to the zoo and wander around and exactly, look at the lights. Exactly, look at the lights. But I think it's obviously limited capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's just. What if we drank more? Would that help? Mm. What if we just stay drunk between now and New Year's? Well, see, I have to work, so uh, yeah. that's not going to be good for me. You don't work better drunk? No. <laughs> Oddly enough, I don't. Uh, yeah, that's just sad. What's just sad? Just being drunk for three weeks just seems <laughs> Doesn't sad. have to be. And eventually you have to sober up, and that's just going to be painful. <laughs> All right, well, do you feel like watching a bunch of movies that don't really have anything to do with Christmas will, will help get no, you No, I mood? do not. No. Though I am excited... I heard that Jingle Jangle, which is a new Christmas film or holiday film on Netflix, is Forrest Whitaker and Felicia Rashad. And it's, oh, I think I saw something about that. I, I've heard from people that it's actually like adrenaline shot in the heart of if you need some, some holiday spirit, that's the <laughs> film to watch. Like it will force the grinchiest of Grinches <laughs> to like have a moment, like a tear. So I may Your heart will grow exactly. So I day. may pop that pop that in. It's not a fucking DVD. I may <laughs> I may turn that on at some point. Obviously, when we get closer to Christmas and it is an acceptable time to do that, mm-hmm. to try to get myself there a little bit. Okay, look forward to that. Mm-hmm. 
Like forward to the degringing of Nikia. It won't last long. It'll be as long as whatever that movie is, and then it'll be over. <laughs> and the Grinch with his Grinch feet, ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. He puzzled and puzzled till his puzzle was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. All right, well, let's, let's talk briefly about this movie that we are going to watch. And it is one of those movies that ends up on lists of alternate holiday fare, which is how I decided to watch it. Uh, and people have also been discussing it on Twitter recently. I think because it was just added to the Criterion Collection, which for film nerd Twitter is, you know, like being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I guess. Is it? <laughs> sort of. And anyway, it reminded me that I am way overdue to revisit this movie. This movie came out the year I graduated high school. And maybe not surprisingly, I didn't love it at the time. I, I probably wasn't really the demographic for it. Am I supposed to know what year that is? Know roughly how old I am. Can you roughly? No, I'm not good at math. So. <laughs> that was 1987. Okay, thank you. Sure. <laughs> Uh, but it's a, it's a weird movie tonally, and I didn't, back then, I didn't think it really worked. Um, I, I vaguely remember having the impression that everyone in the movie was not necessarily in the same movie, hmm. but I don't know. I haven't seen it in a, in a very long time. And at that time, I had not yet seen the screenwriter's other work. Mm -hmm. John Patrick Shanley's primarily a playwright, but he's he's done some screenwriting. He won a Tony Award and a Pulitzer Prize for the play Doubt in 2005 mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. was Oscar-nominated for the script, the movie version. But Can what, we talk about Viola's just amazing in it? Yes, Viola's very good in that movie. Viola Snot should have been just nominated just for the snot alone. <laughs> she, she is an excellent snot just actress. Just snot cry, just, you're just, yeah. she breaks your heart. But I seem to remember in, in Fences, In Fences, there was, fences, there was absolutely a, a, a snot scene there, yes. Do you, think she, do you think she does that naturally? Or do you think she like rubs chili peppers? Viola does nose? not fake her snot. <laughs> How dare you, sir? No. It's a fucking actor. This is the sort of conversation I don't really prepare for. And it, we end up talking about things I wasn't expecting. Anyway, what I was saying is, the movie that really makes me want to go back and revisit this piece of John Patrick Shanley's writing is one he did a couple of years after this called Joe versus the Volcano. Oh, fucking Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Which, as you know, I absolutely adore to a, to an obscene degree. It's, it's not it's not obscene, and I am not alone in that. Mm -hmm. I do think this is sort of my point. I think that's another movie that people have trouble getting on board with the tone of it because it's. I wonder why it's a little it's a little unusual. <laughs> So I feel like knowing that, I am now prepared to go back and watch this movie again and, and appreciate what's happening in it. Okay. <laughs> I don't understand why Ossie Davis was in that film. Ossie was brilliant in He that was good film. in it because he's fucking Ossie Davis, but like, how did Ossie Davis get that job? What do you mean? And how did he read that script and be like, yeah, this is, I'm going to do this. <laughs> that, was a, that was Ossie's finest role. Bitch, I will cut you. <laughs> no, it was not. He was the limo driver who knew a lot about fashion. I will cut you. <laughs> 
What kind of clothes you got now? I, what the so hell? No don't do the don't do black voice. Don't do that. Please don't do that. That was a spot on, Aussie. No, it wasn't. And how dare you? And you need to atone. <laughs> okay, so what what do you actually know about this movie? Share. Uh-huh. Nicholas Cage. <laughs> okay, let's. How, how do you feel about those? First, how do you I know feel that about, she smacks him and says, "Snap out of share? it" at some point in the film because everybody plays that scene. Okay, like, snap out of it. How do you feel about Share? Because people who love Share really love Share. I mean, I don't. Um, I, I am not such a Share. I, I may be agnostic on Share. I don't. Okay, that's how I am too. Hate Share. I don't love Share. I respect Share. Like she's obviously had a very you know long career. And has seemingly been doing what the fuck she wants to do for a very long time, which is mm-hmm. hard for women, and it's hard for women as they get older. So again, much respect for that. I, I don't. I, I I grew up on Sunny and Share shows, Share, mm-hmm. and I think that has always made it a little difficult for me to yeah relate to her career. Otherwise, I mean, she's fabulous. Like obviously, she has been a style icon at various mm-hmm. points in her career, and I think even for this, when she won the Oscar, she was wearing that crazy. I think it was Bob Mackie dress. So, yeah, I mean, she got on, like, a Navy ship in, like, lingerie and showed her ass, and she was, like, 50-something years old. So, <laughs> I mean, other than the whole sort of, you know, gypsies, tramps, and thieves and... Gypsies, tramps, and thieves. Sort of, like, you know, Native American appropriation moments. Um, oh, yeah, it's a little unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> she's, she hasn't, you know, said anything that's made me be like, oh, hell no, Cher. So. Okay. And I, I love, um, which is Eastwick. So okay, I didn't know that was that was a movie you loved. I watch it pretty much every time it comes on TV. It's such a weird film. <laughs> it's yeah, but I like it. And have I seen any other Cher films? Oh, Mask. Sure. Stoltz. And <laughs> she was good in that. And I saw her in. Um, is it Mermaids? Is that what it's called? It's it Winona is. Ryder. I don't know that I've seen that actually. If I have, I've forgotten it. So I think I've actually liked her generally as an actress. Okay, and then let's let's talk about your feelings about. I fucking Sir hate Nicholas Cage. Nicholas you know Cage. that I hate Nicholas Cage, and <laughs> I don't get him. I don't understand anybody's I, how anyone takes him serious. I can't tell if he's a joke. Okay. So this was a big year for Nicolas Cage. Okay. I mean, he had made several movies before this, including, uh, I think Valley Girl was the first place I ever saw. And that's a cute movie. I don't know if you ever saw that movie. I don't think so. Uh, Birdie. Nope. No. And Peggy Sue Got Married. Seen parts of it. Okay. But then in 1987, he made Moonstruck and he made Raising Arizona. So I love Raising Arizona. Okay. So see, I think it's a matter of finding the right vehicle. For Nicolas Cage. I feel like that's the one vehicle. (laughs) (laughs) So I know he won, didn't he win like an Oscar? He was nominated for the one where he plays twins or something. What is it? Uh, Uh, Adaptation. Adaptation, which I didn't see. He just has a very weird career. And he won the Oscar for Leaving Las Vegas. Do you see that? I did see that. He was, yeah, he was getting that. But see, that that to me is the perfect vehicle because it's a serious dramatic role. Right. But the whole point is he's drinking himself to death through that movie. So he gets to be over the top because mm-hmm. he's he's drunk all the time. Right. Like, I feel like the formula of what makes a good Nicolas Cage movie is is very tricky. Because it either needs to be a live action cartoon like Raising Arizona. Mm-hmm. Or it needs to be something that excuses his penchant for overacting. It's a narrow ass niche, right? <laughs> so for as many films as he's made, that's a narrow ass niche. And so, and maybe I'm glad that's actually very helpful because maybe that explains why I'm just like, I don't get the Nicolas Cage thing because maybe it is he's only, he's calibrated for a very specific yes. and anything outside of that, I'm just like, I don't understand. Is this a joke? 
And I mean, to me, another perfect cage vehicle is... Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. (laughs) Because again, the whole movie is over the top and ridiculous. So he fits... He's the straight man in that movie. But he's not, though. Because he's like this ridiculous ass character with this accent and is not working his wife beater. And is like, my black friend got diabetes. I need to get the... Like, I just don't... I don't know why you get to do that voice and I don't get to do Ozzy Davis. Because I'm black and I can do whatever the fuck I want. Because I don't have very many privileges, so I'm going to take that one. Okay? (laughs) That bunny's for my daughter. (laughs) The fuck is this? So no, I don't I don't understand the Nicolas Cage thing. And then he's like on the like the skull on fire on the motorcycle movie. Ghost Rider. And the, I just don't I don't understand his career at all. I just have such a problem with it. I'm I really don't get it. Like good for him. He's obviously he made a career and he made money. But I'm just like, how the fuck did that happen? <laughs> okay, well we'll we'll see what you think of him in this movie. Mm-hmm. And he when I say I remember feeling like not everybody in this movie was in the same movie. He he's pretty much who I was talking about. I'm not surprised. I don't know what movie he's in in this movie, but it's an interesting one. Mm. Uh, okay, I, I didn't do a lot of background on this, but just briefly. So this movie was nominated for six Oscars, including Best Picture. Cher won Best Actress, and Olympia Dukakis, who plays her mother, won Best Supporting Actress. And John Patrick Shanley won the Oscar for the screenplay for this movie. Did I mention the director? I didn't mention the director. Directed by Norman Jewison, who we, we've actually already watched a couple of Norman Jewison movies. We watched Fiddler on the Roof mm. and In the Heat of the Night. Okay. Okay. He's a director I like very much. Roger Ebert gave this movie four stars, and it's on his great movies list. On its release, he called it the best comedy in a long time, and said the most enchanting quality about Moonstruck is the hardest to describe, and that is the movie's tone. Reviews of the movie tend to make it sound like a madcap ethnic comedy, and that it is. (laughs) Ethnic comedy? But there is something more here, a certain bittersweet yearning that comes across as ineffably romantic, and a certain magical quality that is reflected in the film's title. Ineffably romantic. It's not really my vibe, so probably not gonna love it. Maybe you it. can expand your vibe. I'm, not, I'm actually good. Maybe with Maybe you vibe. can make room for other vibes. I'm good with my vibe. I don't think I like romantic films. <laughs> you don't generally <laughs> like romantic movies. <laughs> this is true. They, it, it's really hard for a movie to sell you on romance. It really that's, is. That's what it comes. It's very down challenging. To. It is very challenging, and especially if somebody's supposed to be falling in love with Nicolas Cage. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck is that happening? <laughs> All right, we will, we will definitely talk about that. I say we just go watch the movie at this point. Uh, so when we get back, we will talk about Moonstruck. The moon brings the woman to the man. Capisce? The moon is a little like love. Will you marry me? I will marry you. I will be your wife. You love him, Loretta? No. Good. When you love him, they drive you crazy. Sometimes. Why are you marrying Johnny? He's a fool. It makes you act a little crazy. Where are you taking me? To the bed. Oh, God. Okay, I don't care. I don't care. Take me. Take me to the bed. Isn't it romantic? You got a love bite on your neck. Your life's going down the toilet. You'll have your eyes open for you, my friend. I have my eyes open. I'll say no more. You haven't said anything. You ruined my life. That's impossible. You ruined my life. Look, it's Cosmo's moon. Why do men chase women? Nerves. I don't want to talk about it. That moon, that crazy moon. Now you don't. 
I love you. What? Snap out of it. I'm confused. They say there's nothing new under the sun. Wait a minute, wait a minute. <clears throat> but under the moon, that's another story. You love him, Loretta? Ma, I love him awful. Oh, God, that's too bad. Share Nicolas Cage in a Norman Jewison film. A la familia, eh? A la familia. Moonstruck. And we're back. During the break, Nikia and I watched Moonstruck. Nikia, let's address the elephant in the room, the most important factor of this movie. There's there's really not a lot of Christmas in this movie. There's some Christmas lights. <laughs> there's one Christmas tree at, what is it, Lincoln Center? Mm-hmm. Other than that, I don't know that I noticed any Christmas accoutrement. It was a mood. It was a vibe. <laughs> More than anything explicit. <laughs> So I think all of those internet lists that put this well, on the list adjacent. of Christmas adjacent movies, it's pretty adjacent. It's adjacent. Uh, although I guess it's, you know, about family, mm-hmm. etc. So sure. Polly and Kale, who liked the movie when it was released, actually mentioned the holiday factor. She said, Moonstruck is slender and at times it's a little too proud of its quaintness. When the characters raise their champagne glasses and a toast to family, you may dimly recognize that this picture could become a holiday perennial. But you're probably grinning anyway, she says, because the toast has a flipped out quality. Moonstruck isn't heartfelt, it's an honest contrivance. The mockery is a giddy homage to our desire for grand passion. With its own special lushness, it's a rose-tinted black comedy. What did you think of Moonstruck? Um, I thought it was cute. (laughs) I obviously do not have the words of the Pauline Kale or the analysis, um, so let's admit that up front. I thought it was... It will not be an annual holiday. It will not be a holiday perennial for, for you. Me. I got what it was trying to do. I respect what it was trying to do. What was it trying to do? I mean, it was it, it was an opera, right? It was telling a love story. <laughs> Pretty much tells us that, like right from the opening. From the scenes. beginning, we see the all close up of Labo and Labo and all M yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's another you know romantic comedy that is just about two people finding each other when what they really need to find is therapy. So I just don't. <laughs> I'm never going to be on board with that. So yes, it was cute. I thought it was. It was cute. It was, and that's. I'm not meaning that to be dismissive or well, really because it kind of. I'm not. It kinda I, I know it does, but I'm saying that in the sense of like I do not have an analysis to bring to this conversation about the film. <laughs> That is the level of engagement I had with it. Oh, that, that was, was cute. cute. Right, exactly. <laughs> okay, this is going to be a short, Super short. conversation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did you did you have trouble with the tone of it? Or did you get on board with that pretty quickly? Or, or did you, as you just said, I get it, but I don't like it? <laughs> it wasn't even that I didn't like it. It was just I had no desire to spend any more time in that world than I did. Mm. Um, because it does do that. And I, I mentioned earlier Joe versus the Volcano. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is very much doing the same thing, yes. only ca- taken absurd. further. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Shanley directed that one as well as wrote it. And it's, I mean, it's a fable. It's a fairy tale. That's mm-hmm. what it is. Mm-hmm. And it leans heavily into that and then tries to layer real emotion under it. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's why it, why it works. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this one does do the same thing. I think it's... Everything is super heightened. The emotions are operatic. Mm-hmm. Uh, the expression of those emotions is, at times, operatic. 
but hopefully we buy it anyway. We buy the characters anyway. Did you? Uh, yeah, I guess I bought the characters. I mean, what I will say for it is that they successfully created a world. Um, mm-hmm. It was, it's a small, very, some very small. World. <laughs> it's a small world, but they, the characters felt real. They felt lived in. This, this is one of Norman Jewison's gifts, mm-hmm. I think. And I, I have described him as having a particular affinity for sort of those small ethnic communities, whatever they happen mm-hmm. to be. Mm-hmm. So Fiddler on the Roof was Norman Jewison. In the Heat of the Night was Norman Jewison, that small town. Mm-hmm. Um, he did a movie called A Soldier's Story. So it's, you know, he, he has a gift for creating these little worlds yeah. and layering them with a lot of texture and a lot of colorful characters. Mm-hmm. I think the casting in this movie is great. I think everybody, even the t- even the small roles, seem interesting and seem like genuine people. No, I agree. I mean, there wasn't so as heightened and operatic as it was. There really wasn't. There was not a false note in the film. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't. You know, everybody knew what they were doing and showed up for that. And so, I, and that may be the only thing that kept me from because there's a lot about this where I should be like, oh no, I hated that, but I didn't. And I think it is because I think that is to the credit of the actors and the the sort of world building that happened. I mean, there were definitely moments where I was just like, I am out. Um, <laughs> you know, the moment where Cher and Nicolas Cage are back at his apartment at their first meeting and he like tosses the table to the side <laughs> and picks her up in his arms and she's he's like i'm gonna take you to bed whatever the hell it is that he says and she's just like oh okay like it was just very oh, like take me to the bed jamsily moment and i was uh-huh. like that's a little ludicrous but again like it's an opera and so it makes sense that it would be this sort of gesture right that it would be this grand thing so there were moments like that where it tested my limits mm-hmm. of of sort of buying into it but yeah it was cute <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's. I guess let's let's talk about Cher, her okay. character, Loretta, a mm-hmm. little bit. Um, so Loretta is a thirty-eight or something year old woman, which is apparently an old crone, mm-hmm. um, which makes me feel terrible. Who lost her first husband, her true love? She got bad luck after like two <laughs> years of marriage or something like that. He was hit by a bus, yes. something horribly traumatic, and so she sort of resigned herself to marry. What was that smuck's name? Johnny. Johnny. <laughs> Played by uh, Danny Aiello. Not for love, but just because she wanted <laughs> to get married and he has a job. And sort of, it's just a very sort of practical, non-romantic decision. <laughs> Her mother, played by Olympia Dukakis, asks her, do right. you love him, Loretta? And she says no. I like him. So that's, you know. <laughs> and Rose says good. Yeah. <laughs> when you love him, they give you nothing but trouble. So she's both romantic enough to know that romance... And love exists, and to also believe in this idea of, like, bad luck. Mm-hmm. And also pragmatic enough to then make a decision of, okay, I just need to, you know, take myself off the market sort of thing with this man that I don't right. particularly love, but he's fine. She, she says at one point in the movie, I, I married once for love, mm-hmm. I waited for love. Look, you know, I was raised that a girl gets married young. I held out for love. I got married when I was 28. I met a man, I loved him, I married him. And then he would have a baby right away. And I said, no, that we should wait. And then he gets hit by a bus. So what do I got? I got no man, no baby, no nothing. You know, how did I know that that man was a gift I couldn't keep up? My one chance at happiness. Yeah. So this time I'm just going to marry the... You you didn't think much of Johnny? Well, there's not much to think of Johnny. (laughs) 
He seemed to be just a man-child. Um, yeah, somebody calls him a big baby. So there there really wasn't much to think of Johnny. And I don't even know that he really wanted to marry her, quite frankly. I guess in the end, we find out he really didn't. But he seemed to be having like an allergic reaction to the idea of marrying her at the dinner table. <laughs> just like vigorously scratching his head. And he did not come prepared for that proposal. Didn't have a either. ring. Where's the ring? The ring. A ring. That's right. I would have sprung for the ring if it was me. Kabish. You could use your pinky ring. I like this ring. You propose marriage to a woman, you should offer her a ring of engagement. It was not, um, you know, a beautiful moment. <laughs> okay. And then, so that, that all would have gone off without a hitch. Mm-hmm. Except for Ronnie, mm-hmm. Johnny's brother. Johnny has been estranged from his brother, and he asks Loretta to go look him up and see if he'll come to the wedding. And then we meet Ronnie in what I do think is a great scene. Is it? I do. And it's, this is when I said, it's like, I'm not sure everybody's in the same movie. It's like, she goes down into the basement under the bakery to find Ronnie. And it's like, she's entered a whole different world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's like, she's in the underworld. Yeah, there definitely is a little bit of like, sort of Phantom of the Opera moment there. Of Like, (laughs) for a while, we don't see his face. He's facing the oven. So he's just this sort of figure in front of this pyre. And... Yeah, he proceeds to... I don't know what the fuck he's doing. Um, orate for like 20 minutes, <laughs> it feels a like. Good monologue there. Do you know about me? Mm-mm. Okay. Nothing is anybody's fault, but things happen. Look. This wood is fake. Five years ago, I was engaged to be married, and uh, and Johnny came in here, and he ordered bread for me. And I said, oh, okay, some bread. <laughs> and, and I put my hand in the slicer, and it got caught because I wasn't paying attention. The slicer chewed off my hand. <laughs> it's funny, because when my fiance found out about it, when she found out that I'd been maimed, she left me for another man. That's the bad blood between you and Johnny? Yes, that's it. Yeah, but I, that's not Johnny's fault. I don't care! I ain't no freaking monument to justice! I lost my hand! I lost my bride! Johnny has his hand! Johnny has his bride! You want me to take my heartbreak, put it away, and forget? About his fucking hand <laughs> and the fact that he lost his, you know, the woman he was supposed to marry all because of Johnny. I lost my hand. And if bread is supposed to be life and all I do is bread and bread and bread and bread, <laughs> but there's no life or no happiness or something like that. So, again, therapy. Um, yeah, so he's... Got a lot of anger. So it has a lot of anger. And he blames Johnny because he... Johnny was talking to him. <laughs> right. And so he stopped he... paying attention to the fact that he was had a blade in his hand cutting bread or something and, and chopped his hand off. <laughs> right. And so obviously that and was Johnny's fault. And because of that, his fiance left him. Right. So this is all Johnny's fault. It's not really how that works. His mythology somehow. Kind of have to pay attention as part of the job. <laughs> Did uh, we talked about your issues with Nicolas Cage a little bit. Did he work for you in this role? I mean, he was supposed to be ridiculous, so sure, he <laughs> he did what Nicolas Cage does in films, so I didn't, I still didn't enjoy it, necessarily. I mean, it's, this was a niche for him, mm. um, mm-hmm. that it successfully exploited his particular 
weirdness. Weirdness. <laughs> so kudos on that. Do I enjoy it? No. Would I want to watch more than an hour and, what, like 20 minutes of it? No. You're att- attracted to it, though? No. And he's, I didn't understand why pretty, she... Pretty particularly... Se- pretty sexy in this movie. Post-makeover... Oh, post-makeover? She could have done so much better. Oh, you mean after, okay, her makeover. Yes. Because he cleans himself up. He puts on a tuxedo. At the same time. That's it. Well, I mean, when you see him in the basement, do you think he owns a tuxedo? Sure. Everybody owns something to get buried in, so, yeah. (laughs) Pauline Kael said of Nicolas Cage, Cage is a wonderful romantic clown. He's slack-jawed and Neanderthal and passionate. He may be the only young actor who can look stupefied while he smolders. Ew. <laughs> and no one can yearn like Cage. His head empties out. There's nothing there but sheep-eyed yearning. None of that sounds appealing to me. <laughs> Slack-jawed and smo- smoldering? Smoldering. Mm, those two things don't go together for me. <laughs> no. Slack-jawed immediately negates the possibility of smoldering. <laughs> No, he's, he's raw passion. No, he's, he's raw, right? Unbridled something. No, I just don't get And I, I admit that that is my failing, apparently, but I just, I do not see <laughs> the appeal at all. I like the scene where, and it's that same scene you were talking about where he throws the table, but first Loretta, you know, says, I'm telling you your life. Mm-hmm. You tell me the story and, and you act like you know what it means, but I can see what the true story is and you can't. That woman didn't leave you, okay? You can't see what you are, and I see everything. You're a wolf. I'm a wolf? Yeah. You know, the the big part of you has has no words, and uh, it's a wolf. You know, that woman was a trap for you. She caught you, and you couldn't get away, so you... You chewed off your own foot. That was the price you had to pay for your freedom. You know, Johnny had nothing to do with it. You did what you had to do between you and you, and now... Now you're afraid because you know the big part of you is a wolf that has the courage to bite off its own hand to save itself from the trap of the wrong love. That's why there's been no woman since that wrong woman, okay? You're scared to death of what the wolf will do if you try and make that mistake again. What are you doing? I'm telling you your life. Stop it. No. And she she reinterprets his myth. She reframes the entire story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she basically says he's a wolf who chewed off his own <laughs> arm because he didn't want to marry this girl. Right. <laughs> Which is, okay. Again, therapy. <laughs> that's not a decision that someone in their right mind makes. or someone with the, the right tools. But this is this is an awakening for Loretta. Mm-hmm. He awakens her. Uh, okay. Surely. <laughs> I suppose. I uh, Pickens must have been slim. Um, <laughs> You're saying there might have been a third option between Johnny and I Ronnie? I really would hope so. And again, once she gets, she, she dyes her hair and cleans herself up, absolutely, yes. I mean, she washes the gray, she gets the gray taken out of her mm-hmm. hair, and she puts on a dress. and Go be with the pervy professor. Anything. <laughs> like, just anything. All you're getting out of that is, like, a constant bread supply, and I don't know that it's worth it. Mm, fresh bread every day. I mean, I mean sure, but it's like, you know, it's yeasty. <laughs> Presumably the sex is good. Why are we presuming that? Well... Again, because it's supposed to be, you know, unbridled passion and, mm-hmm. I don't know, something. All right. <laughs> Once again, you are you do not seem to have a lot of hope for the couple that emerges These out are of two broken comedy. people <laughs> coming together who need to maybe heal themselves first before <laughs> they get into a relationship. And then find that once you heal yourself, you actually don't want to be in a relationship with that person. 
I do feel like Ronnie might get old after a couple of years. Ronnie would get old immediately for me. <laughs> like, I no, I would have no patience for that. <laughs> you know, at best you carve, you know, Loretta was here into his hand and then you bounce the fuck out of him. <laughs> <laughs> Leave him with a little something. Into his Geppetto hand? Yeah. <laughs> Emily Vanderwerf has a good essay for Criterion on this movie, and she talks a lot about that makeover. Mm-hmm. And she's a she's a trans woman, and she talks about how she she always loved makeover mm-hmm. movies mm-hmm. years before she figured out why she loved makeover movies. Yep, and talks about how this one was particularly resonant, and talks about it as something that she was doing that it was sort of an awakening to herself rather than something she did for the man. It was like a rediscovery of who she really was, and that that sort of works for. The casting, too, because it's like, we all know who Cher is. Right. So, for the first half of the movie, Cher is... Dowdy and... Right, she's playing dulled down. Mm -hmm. And then, during that makeover sequence, it's like, the real Cher emerges. Vanderwerf says, The character is simply waiting for someone to see her in the right way so she can shed the ill-fitting costume she wears and become her glamorous self. And I guess, I mean, that's sort of what the movie is about as far as her arc goes, right? Is that she has given up on love, she's given up on romance, she's given up on life to some mm-hmm. extent. Mm-hmm. And then it's, it emerges. Okay. That's, okay, that's great. <laughs> I don't think he, I don't know, I'm fine if he's like the, if he sparks that in her. He's but the then, catalyst. Right, but then she goes and finds someone <laughs> worthy, or goes and be by herself. Um, so he's like the rebound guy. Yeah, I'm like, just like, okay. oh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and then you move on. So Loretta was here. <laughs> All right, let's talk about some of the secondary characters here. Mm-hmm. They have there's a, these little subplots going on. There's, there's Rose and Loretta's mother, played by Olympia Dukakis, and her father, Cosmo, played by Vincent Gardenia. Mm-hmm. They're, they're having their own issues. I mean, she's not having issues. He's having issues. Uh, Cosmo is going around with some cheap-ass looking broad uh, cheating on his wife. Uh, yes. Being a dick about it. Because apparently he's afraid to die. <laughs> yeah, this, this fear of death is... Mm-hmm. That's when you have a heart attack while you're having sex with your cheap-ass hooker. <laughs> this is Rose's theory about why men chase women, is that they are afraid of death. Mm-hmm. I like the scene where she just tells him in passing. She's like, Cosmo. What? I just want you to know, no matter what you do, you're going to die, just like everybody else. Thank you, Rose. You're welcome. But see, she stayed. See, that's the... <laughs> well, he was a plumber. He made good money. And she could have divorced him and took everything that he had. <laughs> I want all the copper pipes. Go be with that fluorescent pink dress wearing chick that you love so much. Who gives somebody <laughs> over the age of, let's be generous and say 40, a charm bracelet? That woman is too old for a charm bracelet. No, she was very happy. Right, because she's. To get the charm bracelet. That says something about who she is and how she values herself. Like, it's just, like, you know, that's a very infantile gift to me. I don't like charm. I think charm bracelets are for young. And this isn't, like, it's not an age. It just seems like a. Now I have to take back your Christmas present. A silly gift. Well, you know, I don't like that bullshit anyway. (laughs) It's a moon. 
Uh, did you like Rose? Oh, she she got an Oscar for this, Libya Dukakis. I did like Rose. Well, I liked her in um, Steel Magnolias. Oh, that's right. I forgot she's in that. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I liked I liked Rose. She was very again very pragmatic woman of like don't fall in love because love is bullshit. <laughs> No, yeah, I thought she was great. I thought her dinner with the professor. Yeah, this was is a John really Mahoney, scene. right? Who he, he's appeared earlier in the movie. He apparently what he does is he dates younger women, and then they get mad at him and throw a drink in his face. That's his pattern. It takes them all to the same restaurant, apparently. Well, sure, yeah, as one does, mm-hmm. and yeah, so he he ends up having a dinner with with Rose and hits on her. Yeah, wants to get it on, but she. <laughs> Which is like the one of the best lines of the film is like I know who I am. Yeah. I'm not gonna do that. I guess you can't invite me in. No. People home. No, I think the house is empty. I can't invite you in because I'm married. Because I know who I am. Shiver. I'm a little cold. <laughs> You're a little boy and you like to be bad. I could go to my apartment. You can see how the other half lives. I'm too old for you. And basically tells him to grow up. Yeah. <laughs> All the men in this movie are little boys. Children. Yeah. Who else we got? We got Grandpa with his dogs. Yes. I like Grandpa and his dogs. <laughs> he has like five dogs that are just wild um, that he feeds. And takes them out food. and makes them owl at the moon. Yes. I like Grandpa and his dogs. <laughs> Rose said she's like, oh man, to give those dogs another piece of my food. I'm going to kick you till you're dead. We got the aunt and uncle who are actually the only happy couple in the movie. Seemingly, yes. Yes. There's a moment where he sees Cosmo's I, lo- I love that scene. <laughs> and he's standing at he, the window and she's in bed looking like, at it's him. It's Cosmo's moon. And he's, Is and he, he does, down there? He does seem like a little kid when he's saying it. And it, there's something so endearing about it. And she's just like, you look. 25 or something, yeah. you know, standing there and they have this lovely little moment. Yeah. They were they get very, it on. They're a very cute couple. Yes, <laughs> then they get it on. Apparently it rises with the tide. <laughs> really? You feel good about that? I am. I'm going to stick by it. <laughs> so Rose eventually confronts Cosmo at that dinner. There's this dinner scene at the end of the movie where everything happens. It's very, I guess it's operatic. It's like all the characters on stage at once and all the problems get ironed out. Was it breakfast? Weren't they eating the oatmeal like that when she confronted? Was it breakfast? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Jewison said that was the hardest scene he ever shot because it was just so hard to coordinate Mm. all the characters and where they were. But yeah, there's one point where Rose just says, Gosmo, I want you to stop seeing her. And he gets up very angrily, very self-righteously and then says, okay. Yeah, because he knows he can't afford a divorce. (laughs) And this is where Johnny comes back. Yes. And, you know, lets him know that his mother made a miraculous recovery. (laughs) He was off off in Sicily visiting his dying mother, when she apparently is not dying at all. And then tells Loretta that he can't marry her. Yeah. I don't even, did he say why? I don't even remember. He he said, if I marry you, my mother will die. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yes. I I don't know where the logic is to that. There's no logic in this film. But... (laughs) So, yeah, he asked for his pinky ring back because that's what he <laughs> proposed to her with. And then immediately Ronnie is, says, oh, well, I want to marry Loretta. By the way, can I use your pinky ring? <laughs> can I borrow that ring? Trash ass. Ma- this is what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> why are these your options? I mean, between the two, you would pick Ronnie. Nope. No? I would choose celibacy. <laughs> I would get thee to a nunnery. <laughs> Anybody else. You have no romance at all. I have. <laughs> it's not romantic to propose to somebody with your brother's fucking pinky ring. 
That is not romantic. Over oatmeal. Well, we clearly don't have a lot to say about this movie. It is a cute movie, though. I do like it. I enjoy it. I think it's. I think it's got a quality that I like in movies, which is that it's. It's very charitable towards its characters. It's mm. very sort of forgiving of mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Even that scene at the end where Ronnie has just proposed to Loretta and they're celebrating with a champagne. Johnny's sitting there sort of sulking because he's a big baby and he just lost this woman to his brother. And the grandfather goes over to Johnny and brings him in mm-hmm. to, he says, you know, you're part of the family. He's not worried about the he, one. He's worried about he the pinky ring. <laughs> but go ahead. My point being, the movie is far more charitable towards people than you are. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. You will get no argument from me. (laughs) Did you have a favorite part of this movie? The eggs in a basket looked really good. Oh, when she's making breakfast, Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. It's very tasty. Yeah, there's some pretty good food in this movie. There's good food in this movie. So, eggs in a basket. (laughs) You can't just name the food. Um, Cher's makeover. (laughs) Of course. Uh, I really did like that scene with Olympia Dukakis and the, John Mahoney. John Mahoney. I don't know. It felt like the most mature adult moment in the film. It, I think it absolutely. I think she's the only adult yeah. in the movie, really. And it was just this, this perfectly encapsulated moment. So that was probably my favorite right. part of the film. She's enjoying it. She's yeah. enjoying the fact that. But he's she also knows he's full of her. shit. Right. <laughs> yeah, I think that 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 sequence is probably my favorite part of the film. Okay. Least favorite part. Oh, uh, what was that? <laughs> everything else. No, I don't. I did not have a lease. For, it's just it really is. It's like it was cute, and that's sort of. I ne- if I never see it again, I'll be totally fine. <laughs> if you see it, if it, if you're flipping channels, no, you come across it, you stop. won't stop on it. No, you won't even stop to watch Nicholas Cage's fantastic monologue. Why would I do that? Because <laughs> it's awesome. It's not awesome. It is though. You just want to cut off his arm again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. The pass. This didn't change your opinion on Nicolas Cage at all. No, and you knew it wasn't going to. So I, I mean, I always hope. You know, you sometimes with these things, you go, I, you say, I sort of get that now. I, I don't sort know of that get that's the ever happened the in the entire now. time that we've been doing this. But okay, uh, okay. and definitely wasn't gonna, it wasn't gonna happen with Nicolas Cage. All right. Anything else to say about Moonstruck? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's our show. We want to thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us again for the next episode of The Unenthusiastic Critic. Nakia, for the next installment of our Christmas-adjacent marathon, I think we're going to watch a film with even less Christmas in it than this one. But I do think it qualifies because it is fundamentally a nativity story. We're going to be watching Alfonso Cuaron's Children of Men from 2006. <laughs> That's bleak. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I think that feels appropriate to mm-hmm. Christmas 2020, don't you? Sure. In the meantime, you can find us on the web at unaffiliatedcritic.com, where you can find additional episodes, subscribe to the show, leave us a comment, or make a donation to support our work. You can also find us on Twitter at Free Range Critic, or send us an email at michael at unaffiliatedcritic.com. In any of these places, we encourage you to suggest a film Nakia desperately needs to see to make her life complete. Until next time, remember, true love means conning your partner into watching movies they really, really don't want to watch.